G'day, Osha here. Uh, thanks for downloading this show. You might hear an ad in just a second, and I'm warning you this because because it might just pop out of nowhere and go, fuck, what am I getting sold something for? But look, uh, Andy Marr, my audio producer, and Rachel Barrett, my EP, they both need to get paid. And so to pay them, I need to play ads every now and again. So Brad Mackay's on the show today. You're going to hear him in a second. You might hear an ad or you might hear Brad. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When I went from the hospital into general practice world, it was, it was really, really different. I was very used to evidence-based medicine. We'd be doing like ward rounds. We'd have like specialists, surgeons, registrars who were like at the top of their game, residents, interns, but we're all on the same page. We're all doing the same thing and we're all talking science. And then you get into the general practice world where you're in a room like I'm, I'm in now and you have patients coming in saying, oh, yes, I'm only taking like bioequivalent thyroid capsules that are only natural rather than the thyroxine or levothyroxine that you could prescribe me because that's synthetic and nasty. And like then you're you're sort of like taking a bit of a step back in those situations, just kind of going, well, what the hell are you taking? Like, what, what, what are you on? I wasn't taught this at medical school. That is doctor, author, and science communicator, Dr. Brad Mackay. And this is episode 391 of Better Than Yesterday. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. If this is your first episode, welcome. Nice to have you. Dr. Brad McKay is on the show today. He's got a brand new book out. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Um, if you've never been to this show before, g'day. This is a show called Better Than Yesterday. Something you hear on the show today is guaranteed to help you make today better than yesterday. That's it. That's all we're here to do. I've been here uh, since 2013. I'm here every Monday with a guest. Every Friday, I'm here with you. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a... Uh, lockdown locker as many people in my part of the world are right now and um yeah i'm thankful that i can do this show i'm grateful that i can at least do a podcast and some tv work still which is nice but you know we'll see what the uh week holds see how things unfold we'll see what happens thanks for the feedback about friday's episode talking about i guess putting a few more tools on the tool belt when it comes to dealing with everyday life on friday's show we talked about that because it's not trying to go through your day at the whim of uncertainty we're just all one press conference from a politician away telling us how much our, our plans are going to change. 
from where I sit, it's better to make sure you've got as many tools as you can equip yourself with. I'm talking psychological tools to deal with the ups and downs of life. Because look, you know, cleaning up leaves with a shovel, you can do it, but it doesn't work very well. It's about as useful as trying to clean up gravel with a rake, you know, good tools, but not the right tool for the job. So it's better to have the right tool for the job no matter what life throws at you. Anyway, you can always email me, send osheremail at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, uh, osher underscore Ginsburg is where you can find me. Let me tell you about my guest today. Dr. Brad Mackay is an Australian science communicator, TV host, author, podcaster, and he works as a GP in Darlinghurst in Sydney. He regularly appears on the Today Show, ABC Radio, Triple J, Triple M. He used to present Catalyst on the ABC, which is a science show. He hosts a bunch of medical podcasts as well. Brad's new book, it's a cracking read. I've read it. Uh, you'll hear me go into why I liked it so much. The book is called Fake Medicine, Exposing the Wellness Crazes, Cons and Quacks, Costing Our Health. It's a book that does, I guess, explore the potential dangers of wellness warriors, um, vaccine, anti-vaxxers, uh, fad diets, um, dodgy supplements, Conspiracy theories, alternative practitioners, a bit of hand healing, whatever it is. Um, it's a handy weapon, this book. It's a handy weapon to arm yourself with against things like pseudoscience when it comes to protecting you and your loved ones from the health scams. Let's be honest, let's call them what they are, health scams that are out there. Now, part of this conversation I found quite confronting. I was really honest about it because, I, you know, I was like, well, here's an opportunity to practice what I preach, put my money where my mouth is. I was really open and honest about it, about this particular treatment that he spoke of that I've previously found great progress with. But it was difficult to hear what Brad had to say, but I think it's important that I heard what Brad had to say. So if it's confronting to you, I would urge you to keep listening because at the bottom of it all, I'm sure you want what's best for you, for your family, and you want to feel like doing something. But is that something, a thing that works? Or is it just an expensive nothing? Or is it something that could potentially harm you or someone you love? It's a good listen. I hope you enjoy this chat with Dr. Brad Mackay. It's very rare that I speak to someone who is like actually at work lately. Everyone's working from home. <laughs> Sorry, I'm at the, at the clinic with a rubbish bin behind me. <laughs> you are very like, I'm looking behind you right now, Brad. You've got the sharps bin. You've got the curtain for privacy, the mandatory degrees hung upon the wall. It's all happening. Where in the world are you right now? Look, I've got my plague mask on the wall as well. God, which you was do there too. Before COVID. Oh my so, uh, God. Yeah, it was a, a gift, that symbol of medicine from, uh, from years ago. It's sort of appropriate again these days. Oh, Lordy. Lordy. Where, what part of the world are you in? Uh, in Darlinghurst. In Darlinghurst. That's where your regular day-to-day office is, Brad. Exactly. Just for people who aren't from Sydney and certainly people who aren't from Australia, can you describe the community of Darlinghurst, please? Uh, it's very gay. It's sort of one of those areas of the world that's been gentrified over time. So used to have a, a lot of the Sydney underbelly living here, um, but it, it's very much a, a mixed community. So I see a lot of patients who um, sort of are, are homeless or they're looking for homes at the moment. Uh, a lot of people through COVID have been put through hotel rooms and um, coming out the other side and getting some permanent accommodation. Uh, but also, um, yeah, a lot of people with drug use, alcohol use, um, lots of house parties where people are experimenting in 
weird and wacky drugs over this uh, this COVID pandemic time. So it keeps life interesting. All right. So people come to see you and go, hey, I took a thing. I don't know what it is, but uh, now the world is infested with lizards and I don't know what to do. <laughs> they usually see me after that's all occurred or when they've been admitted to hospital for a period of time. Good Lord. And, uh, yeah. So oh. things are a little bit more... Yeah, at ease, but then they can have yeah. an ongoing anxiety because they're freaking out from the lizard people who have been all around them. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people. I I read the pamphlets. Um, and when the pamphlets, you're a all, lizard person. Or? No, no, no. I'm one of the people. <laughs> I'm one of the people who like. Bear in mind, Brad. My brain was going to go there anyway. Um, but yeah. I I just Jimi Hendrixed it with a Zippo fluid on the fire by going. I appreciate that my brain's doing this. I appreciate that I actually need proper medication. But I'm just going to take a heap of ecstasy and MDMA and see what happens. And um, you know, everything was fine. And then there was one pill. It was only one. There was one pill that I was never the same after that, never yeah. the same. And my whole yeah. life was different after that one pill. <laughs> for, for better or for worse is the question. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> it was because everything that I was already experiencing kind of intermittently became a far more permanent feature of the way my brain worked after that. And I didn't want to believe it when I saw the drug education talks that, you know, all it takes is one dose and you'll be fucked. It was like, yeah, that won't happen to me. I look at the kind of party I'm at. Look at the people I'm with. Come on. Drugs won't do that to me. They did. Yeah. But it's interesting because now we're sort of going into this whole new like, generation of thinking in medicine where we're, we're starting to give people ketamine for depression. Mm. Um, so we find that it's really helpful for depression, but it doesn't last very long. And the, the whole addictive side of things with ketamine is a, a bit of an issue. Um, some people are like, I've had some patients that have traveled overseas and they've had sort of ayahuasca and yeah, like come back going, oh my God, I feel amazing. My, my world has changed. And then after about sort of six to 12 months, they start to get depression back again or anxiety back again and yeah prior to COVID they were like traveling around the world to try to get doses or um yeah trying to source things within Australia right. so yeah there, there are these anecdotal stories we are sort of heading in and opening yeah. up our viewpoint with with medicine to see what could actually help I've actually seen I got to witness a patient experience one of the dosings at a ketamine trial and the closest I could describe it would be like the kind of thing you see at a Pentecostal church when someone jumps out of a wheelchair and if you've seen any of the documentaries about those places, they're all faked, every one of them. <laughs> yeah. um, but this wasn't. This was absolutely real. I could not believe what I saw and the power that this drug had upon relieving this person's intense, intense agony. You had a bit of a giggle there about the church call. I'm, I'm guessing when I when I look at the, your, your background, there was a bit of that in your past, wasn't there? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. So I'm, I'm very used to um, people going up to the front of church and getting hands laid on them and, yeah, sort of being told that all sorts of weird and wonderful things were happening around the world when I was a child. Yeah, like I remember my sister's even telling me that people get healed more in Africa than they do in Australia because there's more belief over there. And as I went into, uh, when I got into medicine, I was there going, no, I think it's because there's like, it's poorly um, written down with their medical records and you don't really have any follow-up to determine whether somebody's actually had a miracle or else if they just were able to get out of a, a wheelchair because of adrenaline and then went straight back to the wheelchair again the following day. Yeah. I mean, I remember first kind of looking into that. I, I grew up, uh, it wasn't a Pentecostal church, but I grew up in like in no less much of a fairy story was behind the church that I grew up in, but less of the demonstrative, a kind of performative acts of healing 
which happened in a very showbiz kind of way and probably has more to do with group dynamics and, as you mentioned, adrenaline than any kind of Holy Spirit coming into it. When you, uh, you, you grew up in a church like this, did you ever have experiences of, we probably should take Brad to the doctor, no, 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 we'll go and get him healed. Did that ever, they have, ever happen to you? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, like it was sort of a, a complimentary thing, I suppose, or supplementary uh, was going to prayer meetings. Um, so I'd still have my parents take me to the doctor. Um, but what, what I had when I was a teenager was um, uh, like a very painful back. So around my sacrum at the base of my spine, it was really, really sore. And I was seeing doctors and then I was sent to see a physio and then an osteopath um, and just had a, a sharp stick sort of like pointed at my butt and lots of whacking in my areas uh, to try to correct the joints, apparently. And over time, none of that really worked. Um, I had a, a locum osteopath who came in one day and said, hey, you should probably get a bone scan done and, uh, and have a bit of a check there. Go back to your GP. Um, so I was eventually um, diagnosed with a, an osteoblastoma. So it was a, a bone tumor the size of a walnut oh, in the God. base of my spine. And so this whole sort of osteopathic treatment um, was just getting a stick and then poking it at a really painful tumor and then smacking it every week for about six months, which didn't really help. So it was with that diagnosis that my parents sort of said, oh, well, look, rather than having surgery, let's just get God to heal you. So it took me along to a Catholic prayer meeting, uh, went up the front, had some prayer by one of the, the ministers there, and then went and sat down in the pew thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, I feel God coming into my body and I feel tingly in my fingers and tingly in my toes. And then when I sat back down on the pew, on the hard wooden pew, I could feel some tingling going on everywhere else and a lot of pain going <laughs> like still in my lower spine. So God hadn't really healed me. And I still had to go and get a, an operation from a surgeon. So, um, yeah, it didn't really come through with the goods. That just... You know, I, I I appreciate that people may want to get involved with religion for their mental health. I understand that some people may want to just feel like someone's got it, that it's going to be okay, that someone's dealing with it and you don't have to do it. I get that part. But the part when you are a child who's certainly, and I'm sure your parents are lovely people and are just trying to do their best with the tools that they had at the time, Brad, but when I hear stories like that, I'm like, this is a kid who's unable to control his own outcomes and it's going to take more than some whacking with a stick to make it better. <laughs> exactly. But there's certainly that hope that's sort of like pinned on the on the church. Um, and yeah, like when, when I was a kid as well, like I was always sort of like told that being gay was wrong and that you just needed to be heterosexual and get married to a woman and, and have a have a child and then, then everything be fine. And as I sort of like got into my teenage years and was more attracted to guys than girls, I was sort of going, well, what the, what the hell's happening here? This isn't how it's meant to be. This isn't what was on the brochure of life. And yeah, like over time, like I ended up going and seeing Christian counsellors I saw like a psychologist who was sort of like a, a Medicare accredited psychologist in Australia. And um, yeah, like the first meeting sort of sat me down and said, oh, well, like I'm approaching this from the point of view that God is right and being gay is wrong and, um, and that you weren't made to be gay, that something's broken inside you and we need to fix it and we'll make you straight. And so I went through like, yeah, about <laughs> six, six months of therapy with this. Um, uh, be, being told and being tutored by the church 
that this is uh, well, by, by a councillor who's sort of speaking on behalf of the church. And the and government, that the that's right Medicare accredited. That's, that's our know. tax dollars hard yeah. at work there, Brad. <laughs> I know, taxpayer-funded money that's going um, towards trying to Jesus. make blokes straight. Oh, man, I'm so sorry that it happened to you because that is just, you know, I've got we've got two kids. We've got one who's 17. We've got one who's two. And, you know, just to, God, man. Mm, that the, would have the, been times have changed a little bit. So, like, it was better when I was sort of going through that compared to the generation before. Like, I've, I've had patients who have had like weird and wacky treatment, electric wires attached to them. They've they've had sort of like strange LSD treatment to sort of like try and teach them to become um, straight. Uh, there's been all sorts of weird torture that's happened to, to gay men throughout history. So, for me, sitting in a bit of a musty room in the, the outer skirts of Melbourne, um, having a bit of a chat. Over a cup of tea isn't all that bad, but it still does sort of like impact you psychologically and, and telling somebody that there's something broken in them, particularly if their sexuality is broken and needs to be fixed. Like it's quite a, quite a horrific thing to go through, even if it's not involving electric wires. Oh my God. Look, I know that there are some elements and some presentations of sexuality on the spectrum of sexuality that it is probably not good for society, particularly when it comes to attraction to children, yet to be told that you are broken, you are not okay, and you are wrong and you we have to fix you. I feel like going always when shit like that happens, we'll keep going, well, it says here I'm made in his image. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, how did you... God is non-binary anyway, so yeah. that's fine. <laughs> God is totally non-binary. God, she is a powerful, powerful being. When did you first start to get a, a glimpse of life away from a possibility, away from this mentality of you're broken and only prayer can make you better. <laughs> yeah, like I started university when I was only young as well. So I was 16 turning 17 wow. and starting off at, at uni. So it was sort of like a bit of a, a, a big plunge. You were a child. How did you get into uni at 16? <laughs> so, so I had a lot of lot of education. I was talking to a lot of different patients, and over time, like I sort of like found that what I was being taught in the church was very different from what I was finding in the scientific realm and through an academic realm through studying. So, um, being told that yeah, like for example, that that being gay is wrong and that God is the only the only answer for that. But then talking to patients who were gay and were very happy with being gay and and how they'd um, yeah gone through lots of counselling and come out the the other side and were still gay, it really um, was really chalk and cheese between what I was being taught as it all the way from being a kid to then what I was learning in that in that scientific area. But it still takes a long time. So it wasn't until I was sort of like in my mid-20s that I was actually able to face a lot of that sort of stuff and, and being able to step away a little bit more from the church. And, yeah, like a lot of your your, your friendship groups are all there. Like yeah. you're, you're used to going on the weekend. Yeah. All of that is part of keeping people in the church and providing support. Um, but when you've got a problem, when you've got an issue, if you've got a health issue, um, and then you're seeking support from people in the church who are really biased and may not be providing you with the best advice, unfortunately, you can end up in a bit of a cycle um, and not actually yeah, get out of there at all. So um, I think to get out of the church was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it took a lot of effort to do that. 
but I, I feel like I'm better off at, at the end of it and looking at life and, and the human body and at healthcare uh, a little bit more realistically than what I could have otherwise. And yet it has your own personal experience. Well, A, I'm bloody glad you did because I can't even imagine how it would have begun to impact your mental health. Being a teenager is tough enough. Then to be at uni, to be 16, be the youngest person amongst all these kind of bong-ripping, you know, <laughs> international socialist going to, you know, kind of people would have been full tilt, man. I'm really grateful that you found a pathway out of that. And yet, um, part of me is also kind of grateful you had the upbringing you did because it allowed your new book, Fake Medicine, do you see that the way that you're informed by your past, like here's a giant group of people who have all agreed that this particular thing is true. So inside that group of people, they all feel it's true, doesn't make it true. Do you think that informs the way you move forward when it comes to thinking about um, vaccinations or fake medical advice? Yeah, like I, I sort of see everything as being the same. So either see that it's like helpful and you're going to get benefit from it or it's unhelpful, not going to be giving you any benefit. And it's the same whether it's religion or whether it's sort of beliefs in alternative medicine or complementary medicine. So uh, like I, I take a bit of a hard stand with that. And I, I certainly like understand the placebo effect. There are some people that have been taught all sorts of weird and wonderful things from their parents, whether it's religious or whether it's a lovely health thing, like, um, like rubbing a sty with a gold ring will certainly make your sty better. It's all based on like weird magic things that don't work. And we can seem to like um, just keep on replicating that throughout history. Um, so what I'm trying to do with, with my book, Fake Medicine, is to try to sort of like highlight that and just help people to think a bit about what they've been told ever since they were a little kid and kind of think, okay, well, yeah, like if I think that a gold ring is going to get rid of my sty, like how could it possibly do that? Um, what is that based on? Often it's based on the healing properties of gold. Sometimes we do give gold injections to people with rheumatoid arthritis, but that's like a really old-fashioned treatment. But rubbing your eye with a gold ring, it's inert. It's not like giving yourself an, an infusion or an intravenous injection of gold that's soluble. So um, it really won't rub off on your eye. And it's probably just time that's going to be making your sty better rather than your grandmother's uh, gold <laughs> ring being rubbed vigorously against your lower eyelid. You mentioned something that I think would be worth digging into because it might be the, it's a place that people can possibly understand why some things feel like they work. Can we talk about the placebo effect? You mentioned it just then. Let's talk about the placebo mm. effect. And if we could also talk about the nocebo effect, just to give people an idea of your body already has this thing that it can do. And if we manipulate the story around what it is we're doing, it's probably just your body doing that thing. Can we talk a bit yeah, about yeah. that, please? Lately in the media, we've been seeing a lot of people suffering from insomnia and having lettuce juice. Basically, people are getting like an iceberg lettuce out of the fridge, getting a few leaves, putting it in a, in a teacup, and then adding boiling water with the belief that, um, that sipping some lettuce juice um, or boiled juice is going to be uh, giving them a, a nice solution for their insomnia and sending them off to sleep. So if we're talking about the placebo effect, then yeah, certainly if you're, if you're having disgusting lettuce juice and believing that you're going to be getting a, a, a sleep solution from it, 
you'll probably start to feel sleepy and you'll probably go to sleep. But it doesn't mean that the lettuce juice is actually doing anything for you. There have been some studies looking at it, um, mainly using mice. So we still don't know if lettuce, if a romaine lettuce is really going to be helpful for your sleep or not. Um, at the moment, probably not. Uh, it seems to be more the placebo effect. And people are putting up their videos on TikTok just sort of saying, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm feeling so sleepy, like hours after um, having the disgusting tea. So it, there is that power in what you're thinking about. So for example, if you're having tablets that are totally placebo and you're taking them for your pain, for your osteoarthritis in your knee, then you'll find that your pain could subjectively get a bit better. And this is what we find with, with this placebo effect is that it, it can be quite helpful and it can be quite powerful, particularly for things like pain. We just, our brain works in mysterious ways and can actually dull down our pain response if we think something's going to be helpful. Um, so this is why we do studies where we look at, at a pill um, and then we also compare it with placebo. So we're wanting to make sure that we're getting an effect that's above what our own brain is doing. Uh, and you mentioned the nocebo effect as well. This is sort of something that we're seeing with, with vaccinations at the moment. Everyone's getting COVID vaccines around the place. And if you're told that you'll, you'll have a terribly painful arm, that you'll probably fall over and have a faint after having the vaccine, you're much more likely to have an adverse reaction if you think that you're going to be having an adverse reaction to it. So you could have the same thing from having an injection of salt water. But yeah, like our brain will create a bad effect compared to, to what we would normally experience. It's so fascinating that our brains are so powerful at manifesting either a healing response or I, I remember reading a study into the nocebo effect once about people who are desolate, like really badly allergic to poison ivy were given an inert leaf and they rubbed the inert leaf on their arm and then said, by the way, that's poison ivy, and they broke out in hives. There was no poison ivy, but the knowledge of that was enough to make their body have the similar reaction, that our bodies can do this anyway, sort of leaves me to think that that leaves us rife for manipulation by either poking it with a stick or, <laughs> or rubbing gold on it or whatever else it is. Whatever story you put around this thing that our bodies can do anyway can then be taken advantage of, Brad. Yeah, totally. So one of, one of the things I talk about in fake medicine is about acupuncture. So a lot of people will go and have acupuncture. They've found that it's been really helpful for their pain management. Some people go like regularly every week to have it done. But the studies that we look at when we're really comparing a true placebo, I'll go into that in a second, compared to acupuncture needles, we really don't find much of a difference between groups. And, and if you're going and if, say you have like a leg pain, um, you're going in and having needles put around your leg to, to dull down that pain, it's quite a, a theatre around it. You'll, you might have incense burning in the background. There's lots of needles. You can sort of see the needles going into your leg. And so you, it's a really, really powerful tool to make people feel better about their pain. But on, on the flip side uh, with that, the studies that we're started to do these days in, in medical trials is really comparing a, a proper placebo with the acupuncture. And if you're trying to do that, you're really wanting to have what we call sham needles. So where the person who's giving the needles and the patient, they don't know if they're actually having needles injected or not into their skin. So it's got a bit of a sheath around it. They can feel like a bit of a, a sense of a prick, but then the needle just retracts back into the sheath. And so therefore you can have all of the theater around it. Um, you can have somebody believing that they're putting the needles into your body. You believe that the needles are going into your body. And then we can compare the difference between those groups. 
we really don't find any difference in them Whoa. at the moment. So previously, the placebo group has really just been like, like a control group where they have no treatment whatsoever, or else they might go into a room that's got incense burning, but they kind of know that they're not having needles put into them, so they know that they're in that placebo group. So it's all around the theatre that's really creating that response and decreasing people's pain or, or helping with whichever ailment they're going in with. As someone who I've, I had a hip replacement in December, I have found that <laughs> I have found that acupuncture has been very helpful to mean that I don't need the anti-inflammatory medication so much. <laughs> and now you're well, telling can- me that it's all in my head. And it can just be the power of your mind. Yeah. Whoa. But I do get to, I get to lie there and there's something comes and things and she puts a thing in me and I get to lie, have a little nap and it's great. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I have um, patients or even family members who have had acupuncture for things like fertility. So like they're, they're trying to have a child, they're on all sorts of different hormones. And then even like their well-regarded registered medical practitioner has told them, oh, well, to supplement what we're doing in the fertility lab, let's send you off and yeah, like have acupuncture treatment. So this is still advised at the moment around Australia and around the world as, as a treatment for fertility. But putting needles into your body like isn't really going to alter the landscape of your uterus or improve your, your ovaries. There's just no sort of like credible scientific way that that's actually going to make any benefit whatsoever. So the, the thought about it is that people are trying to relax, that if they're decreasing their stress response, that that could be helpful for their fertility. But then you have patients who, who are like racing all over town, they're, they've re- got a really busy schedule, they're really stressed because they're having problems with fertility and they're trying to make their acupuncture appointment on time and they're really stressed about getting to the appointment. So it just actually like increases the amount of stress rather than being of benefit for them. Um, so they're not even getting that placebo effect. They're just running around um, like crazy where they could be spending that time at home uh, in the bath with a few candles burning and get the same effect. So do I stop going to acupuncture? Is that what you're telling me, Brad? Well, not for your fertility. So uh, certainly uh, don't. Not, no, no, the <laughs> shop's closed there. No, no, that's over. No. <laughs> I didn't get an acupuncture vasectomy, I promise you. <laughs> you mentioned the the appearance of in the book you talk about the appearance of authority and and you talk about I guess the idea of uh sorry I keep when I go to think of your book I keep putting my hand on it to make my brain remember what I read about in the book um you talk about the you know, osmosis yes the period goes through your skin well I just all I had to do was I slept under my pillow and I woke up in the morning and it's like I'd read it, it was amazing um you talk about the uh, uh the appearance of authority or the you know the the power uh, or, or if like in, in a church, it would be a preacher. So the preacher said it, so therefore it's true. Or, you know, you, and, and look, there's a, you're wearing, I think you're wearing exactly the same shirt in the cover on the back of the book, but <laughs> as you are, right, you've got a shirt on there as you are now, but on the book, you have a stethoscope around your neck. So therefore I believe the man with the stethoscope around his neck way more than I believe the man on my Zoom call. <laughs> Right, right. I can put the stethoscope on if you really want to. And a coat. And I want a lab coat as well. What A white coat. Yeah, yeah. precisely. Monogrammed, please. Tell me about our vulnerabilities when it comes to the assumption of authority of someone telling us that this thing is going to be good for us or what we're doing for us might be bad for us and what we might need to look out for before we really believe or follow anyone's hints or tips or you won't believe this crazy trick. 
Yeah, yeah. So certainly, um, we like to believe authority. I've sort of explained like quite a few different things that are like myths and, and health myths in fake medicine that people have come to me after reading the book and said, oh my God, like I just thought that this was normal science. I, I've just believed this my whole life. But now I'm understanding the forces of marketing and advertising that what I've been told may not actually be true. So if we're, if we're seeing an ad of somebody like wearing a lab coat or if somebody's doing a, a bit of a talk, wearing a stethoscope around their neck, we're much more likely to believe them. And uh, the power of advertising is really, really strong. So um, a lot of the, the supplements, the vitamins um, that we're told will help us for whether it's pain management or fertility or whatever, often there's not much evidence to support us using it. In Australia, like a lot of people are shocked to hear that we have over 10,000 products that are put out onto the market. So this is new products that end up in health food stores or even in pharmacies, um, which really haven't been proven to do anything at all. A lot of the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, sort of decides like, yeah, what's the likelihood of this being poisonous and killing lots of people? If they think it's poisonous, they won't approve it to go on sale. Um, but if it's sort of made from or said to be made of appropriate and, and normal um, uh, ingredients, then they don't even test what is contained within the pill. The company pays the TGA some money to list it, and then they put it out on the shelf. And it's only a knee-jerk reaction. So if somebody has a problem from it, so if they need a liver transplant, for example, Good Lord. then the TGA will start to look at it and decide whether it should be continued to be sold on the shelves. Often the, the tablets are, are the same as placebo. They don't have any benefit whatsoever. And so if they're claiming and making therapeutic claims, then they're often told, that they need to change their advertising, change the, the wording that's on the, on the side of the bottle. But again, the tablets that are already out there can continue to be sold. They, they often don't get um, retracted unless there's a, a major problem from them. But it costs $120 a bottle and the man has to go and get a key and bring it out from behind the glass case and then present it to me like, oh, and make sure you take it with food, take it only on a full moon, and there you go. Make sure you're not around anyone who's pregnant or trying to get pregnant because what do we? <laughs> the ceremony, exactly. the circumstance. I paid $120 for this stuff, so I want it to work, Brad. Yeah, yeah totally. So uh, there, there is that, that mysteriousness about it. If you have a secret cupboard um, where somebody's producing a powder or a yeah. potion from that, then, yeah, we, we give it a lot of gravitas. We, we think that it's going to do us a lot of good. And, like, it, the advertising is amazing. Like, I even, um, yeah, when I was much younger than I am now, I always sort of thought that traditional Chinese medicine was going to be brilliant. So I always knew that if I was getting to the end of Western medicine and, and wanted a, another solution, that obviously, like, traditional Chinese medicine would be the way to go. And so, like, I remember, like, feeling tired when I was in my 20s and, and sort of wanting a bit of a, a boost and one of my, my friends told me that I should go to the Chinese herbalist down the road. So I went down there and he, he brought out this gold packet from his secret cupboard and, um, and told me to like take a few of these a day. And didn't really, I had no idea what was in them. And over time, like I, I felt that I had a bit more energy at the gym. Um, I felt a little bit more libido. I also felt like really angry which I don't normally feel angry. And what I sort of figured out over time was that like either it was the placebo effect that was happening and, and I was sort of like having a, a strange reaction in my own head and it was doing nothing whatsoever, or 
Um, it could be like a testosterone derivative. And this is what we sort of like find in, in a lot of like Chinese medicine and, and herbal, herbal medicine is that they can be like not what they say that they are. So even if they say that they're a, a plant and everything's natural, there have been studies done um, in different parts of the world looking at exactly what's in them. So there was a study that was done in Adelaide where they found nine out of 10 products that were Chinese herbalist products didn't contain the actual ingredients that were meant to be in them. And what some of them contained were things like lead and arsenic. So you really don't want too much lead over your life. They also found endangered species, some like cats, dogs, shrub tree frogs, and also um, snow leopard as well was in one of the samples. Good Lord. So this is like testing the, the DNA. Um, so this is sort of like seeping into some of the, the herbs. And then even things like Viagra, so synthetic chemicals were also like put into what was traditionally Chinese medicine. And yeah, like there were like painkillers, there's hormones, there's all sorts of different synthetic substances made in a lab that are then laced into the Chinese supplements to like give a therapeutic effect. And so then we think, oh, well, yes, it's just this ancient herb that's been used for thousands of years that's able to improve my erectile dysfunction and improve my libido. But then it's not actually the herbs that's in it. It's synthetic chemicals that are laced, or it could be the snow leopard, but that's a little bit more doubtful. I don't know. I, I reckon if you suddenly are feeling a little more movement at the station, I think it's a little more to do with the Pfizer riser than it is the ground up snow leopard, to be honest. <laughs> What's the one where they give you a couple little drops of something? Homeopath. Homeopathy is is sort of like still sold at pharmacies around Australia. Like it's it's still in health food shops as well, and it, it's basically just placebo tablets or sugar pills or just water that people put in drops. And there, there's this amazing belief that it does something. There's no possible reason that it could work. Like yeah. it's sort of like a flawed science to create it in the first place. So watering down substances so there's nothing left in it, and then relying on the memory of the substance that used to be in the water to magically activate the water to then do something for you now. It, it just sounds ridiculous when you talk about it and look behind what homeopathy is. But yeah, like a, the power of the mind is strong and certainly you can get a placebo effect from it. But yeah, it's it, it can be time. Um, it can be just that your condition is waxing or waning. Mm. Um, but there, there's certainly no evidence that putting those drops under your tongue are going to be helpful <laughs> at all if, if they just contain the memory of a substance that used to be in it a while ago. Tell me, Brad, then we talked about authority. We talked about people in positions of authority. Not all authority looks like a lab coat or looks like a stethoscope around the neck. Authority can also be, look at this person on Instagram. In my case, look at him. He's 50. He's older than me. He's ripped. He's got mad pecs. He's got a great back. He has no pain when he walks up and downstairs. He's got a six pack. And he's telling me that if I take this particular thing, I will have the results that he, it could be the other example could be, look at her. She's wearing a flowy linen dress. She's living in a beautiful house up in the Northern rivers. Oh my God, her kids are, are incredible. And she's telling me that if I buy whatever this tea or powder is, I will also have these results. There's also the authority of aspiring to either look like or be like the person that we see online, but what's actually going on there, Brad? There's many different things that are going on. So a, a lot of, um, like we sort of talk classically about snake oil salesmen from back in like the, the old Western days in America, where somebody would run into town and sell snake oil and then go into the next town. Everyone would buy it and then realize it didn't work. And then by that time, they'd, they'd moved on. 
these days we sort of have Instagram influencers who look really sexy or they look really toned, they have lots of muscles, and they're telling you about how their green smoothie is what's created the solution. And by the way, they also get a bit of a, a cut if you buy it from their website. So th- there are all sorts of um, people who are not trained in healthcare who are, who are talking about health. And it's a really big topic. Um, a lot of people will look up health um, issues online on Google. It's a major area. Everyone's trying to do something better to make their body improved. And um, yeah, if we see somebody emulating that, if they have big biceps, then we sort of pay them a little bit more attention. Um, so certainly people work really hard to get those bodies. Often um, they're at the gym like seven days a week. And if you're not going to the gym seven days a week, you probably won't get to their level. Um, everyone has different metabolism as well. And so what may work for them um, may not work for you. It's like a promise of hope, but uh, for a lot of people it is false hope and they need to do something completely different to make sure that they're getting more healthy over time. And then there's also like um, people who are even more or disingenuous as well. So a lot of um, like Hollywood actors and, and people who are really in the public eye, they will be taking testosterone um, supplements. Like there's no way that they can actually get their body to the level that it is and be as ripped and cut as what they're actually exhibiting on the screen, even with Photoshop and everything else going on. But they will sort of say, oh, well, yes, I'm on this protein supplement and I'm going to the gym and they just forget to tell people that they're also taking testosterone. So uh, this is sort of like creating a body image that people have no chance of actually getting to unless they know that that's the secret ingredient. So it's, it is that sort of authority. We, we sort of tend to go towards celebrities and, and look up to them. We expect them to be telling us the truth. But yeah, there, there's a lot of marketing and advertising and uh, quite a few computer screens that are between us and that truth occurring. I can't imagine what it's like. I've had plenty of people on this show to talk about vaccinations even before COVID-19. I can't imagine what it's like to sit in your office and mm. speak to someone about whether or not they should get a vaccine themselves or whether or not they should vaccinate their children. How do you even, when you encounter someone who is vaccine hesitant or perhaps has slipped all the way down some sort of slippery, slippery rabbit hole lubed up by the oil of a TV chef, how do you, (laughs) which one, I don't know, make one up, how do you even start that conversation? Uh, I think at the moment, like there's a lot of um, interest in vaccines, as as you've suggested. Uh, A lot of people like that I encounter are very keen to actually get a vaccine. They just have sort of questions about which one they're wanting to get and which one's the safest. Prior to COVID, like I I have had lots of conversations with people who are just dead against vaccines. Like they just don't want them. They don't want them for their children. And it it is really, really difficult to, to change their minds. So I think if somebody is like, part of an anti-vaxxer community, um, if they're um, living in the northern rivers, for example, if they're surrounded by people who are all telling them that they're not getting vaccinated and and there's that sort of echo chamber, then we're probably not going to make much of a difference to to speak with them about it. So that's the disappointing part. But the whole thing is that we do need to talk to people who are a little bit hesitant about it, who who have questions and they could lean one way or the other. And providing them with proper information and educating them about the benefits and risks of vaccines is often enough to sort of get people over the line and realise that it's one of the best things that you could actually do for your health. Um, yeah, protecting you from COVID is really, really important. We should all be doing that at the moment. And when you sort of like talk about the reality of actually getting the infection 
and all of the harmful things that that can do, including long COVID, where people just feel like a chronic fatigue syndrome for, yeah. for months and months, if not a year or so, some people are getting to now. It's much better to have a vaccine that, yeah, for the vast majority of the time is, is safe um, and not causing near as many problems at all. It's sort of like a risk and benefit ratio certainly goes in favour of, of being vaccinated. Do you sometimes have to have these conversations and but put them in meme format, particularly with some sort of a mother cougar with a baby cub or a, a giant kind of bear holding onto a little baby, like the visual imagery of, of a mother protecting <laughs> her child? These are some of the techniques that are used online. I think if I'm sitting in my, my GP room and yeah. talking to people uh, face-to-face, yeah. I, I don't have the benefit of those memes <laughs> to, to really convince people uh, to, to vaccinate their children. My hip surgeon does have a coffee cup that says, please don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine, which is fine. But a lot of people like are able to use Google to sort of like research their condition, particularly mm. for rare disorders. Like it's really helpful. So I think that there is that sort of, there is authority and you can speak on behalf of like being a doctor and, and being trained in medicine, yeah. but you're also not wanting to go to that next level of being demeaning and tell patients that if they are looking up things online, that they're idiots. Yeah. But, but you certainly need to be pointing people into the right direction with that for credible sources. Yeah. Um, and then encounter those myths and tell people, okay, well, this is why this is incorrect. This is why yeah. um, this information that isn't a meme doesn't really make any scientific sense. So part of the job of being a doctor is also debunking um, those sort of memes that, that people are, are affronted by mm. day in, day out on, on Facebook and online. Often, I'm, I, I don't know too much about it. As someone who has been through episodes of psychosis, as someone who has had paranoid delusions, and they are fucked. You do not want them. I had to get on antipsychotics. It was it was really, really bad. As someone who has lived with a brain that is telling me all these things are real, when someone presents to you and going, oh, no, no, Brad, you don't understand. The 5G towers, they are this, that, the other, or... Brad, you don't understand, all, all the Wi-Fi, I've had to cover the walls in tinfoil because the Wi-Fi of my neighbours is... is, is <laughs> Does that give you a clue that there might be something else going on and do you have to have those conversations? Yeah, th that's a really um, sort of like uh, nuanced question. So uh, like in, in some regards, I remember being told as a medical student that if I was taking a psychiatric history from somebody, that if they were telling me something that was a little bit sort of like kooky, um, and I didn't know like quite where to go, then I should ask their minister. And so if they've got some weird, wonderful idea about the way that the universe works, then it's sort of like speak to their elder of their spiritual community to decide whether their way that they're processing the world or believing about things is um, yeah coherent with other people in their group. But yeah, if, if somebody is actually covering their walls with tinfoil and thinking that they're protecting themselves from Wi-Fi or from 5G, yeah, like is that because they're part of a community and then in an echo chamber and they're just being convinced by it? Or do they actually have psychosis and are they suffering from a mental illness and that this is causing them to be really disturbed by, by what's going on? Um, sometimes it is really hard to make that delineation. We do talk in medicine about having delusional disorder um, where people are like are really convinced by, yeah, like the, the 5G tower down the road is sucking their energy, for example. But yeah, like it often won't affect the way that they're functioning in life. Like they may do a few things differently, but if you're talking to them and seeing how they are actually functioning as a human being, they're doing okay. 
So whereas if you have somebody with psychosis, then generally like they're not functioning very well. They've uh, got a, a few other issues and um, yeah, like you can see that it's it, also their physical health can be in decline as, their, as well as their mental health. So um, yeah, there's, there's a few other things or a few other red lights that can go on that they're needing a bit more psychiatric help. Did you write the book because you were just tearing your hair out after one too many patients came in and told you that turmeric is making their arthritis go away? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I, I think when I went from the hospital into general practice world, it was it was really, really different. I was very used to evidence-based medicine. We'd be doing like ward rounds, we'd have like specialists, surgeons, uh, we'd have residents who oh, like registrars who were like at the top of their game, residents, interns, but we're all on the same page. We're all doing the same thing and we're all talking science. And then you get into the general practice world where you're in a room like I'm I'm in now, and you have patients coming in saying, saying, oh, yes, I'm only taking like bioequivalent thyroid capsules that are only natural rather than the thyroxine or levothyroxine that you could prescribe me because that's synthetic and nasty. And like then you're you're sort of like taking a bit of a step back in those situations, just kind of going, well, what the hell are you taking? Like, what, what, what are you on? I wasn't taught this in medical school. Um, so then you end up like Googling and figuring out, trying to figure out what supplement they're on. And when, when you find out that they're on a thyroid extract, that's actually, it is natural. It's not made in a lab, but it's actually ground up cow or pig thyroids that are then squashed into a capsule and the patient is just taking it because they've been told by their naturopath that it's natural um, but you've got no way of knowing exactly what dose of thyroxine they're getting it sort of explains why their their levels are all over the place like month by month as you're trying to plot their thyroid function and they don't even realize that they're just having ground up thyroids it's basically awful put into a capsule. So there's clearly like a misunderstanding that's going on and the average patient coming in. So that, that sort of like perked my interest many, many years ago when I was sort of like slapped in the face by this yeah, strange yeah. practices that are going on around Australia. So it's really quite interesting to tap into it and to figure out what people are taking and why they're taking it. Just taking a moment out of the podcast with Dr. Brad to tell you about the new potty I'm doing with James Matheson. James Matheson and I hosted a show called Australian Idol a long time ago. We also hosted Channel V together an even longer time ago. Uh, He's a good friend of mine and I'm thrilled to be doing a podcast with him again. This week, we talked all about jingles. Jingles are the little songs that advertisers use to help you remember things. And we spoke to two absolutely incredibly talented Australian songwriters who've written more hooks, more songs, more melodies than you can possibly point a pop star at. I mean, these two are responsible for the earworms. They're the reason that you can still remember phone numbers 30 years later for a pizza shop. They're incredible at what they do. And it was a great chat. Jeff and Jenny Ailing are their names. But Jim and I, we, we explored about, because it was interesting, we thought, what is it about songs that helps you get facts stuck in your head? And one particular song was still the top of Jimmy's mind and he finished school a long time ago. I was was terrible at times, but I pretty much was able to do the the periodic table 
because I learnt it to song. Is that something, 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 something? Lithium, beryllium, something, 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 something. There's that one? hydrogen and helium, then lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon everywhere, and nitrogen all through the air. But you just mentioned more elements than I could have ever recalled. Like it clearly, clearly works. Oxygen that you can breathe, and fluoride for your pretty teeth. Neon to light up the sign. Sodium for salty time. That's Idle Australians. You can find it where you found this podcast. You might hear an ad here, okay? But if you don't hear an ad, we'll get straight back to Dr. Brad. If you do hear an ad, thank you. You're helping me keep the lights on, helping me pay Andy, and helping me pay Hayley. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As you mentioned, there's, there's no point in making someone feel silly. And, and from the conversations I've had with people in the vaccine space, there's there's no point making someone feel like they're dumb or making someone feel like they've been hoodwinked. All that does is this thing called the rebound effect. It just pushes people further and further away. So it must take a huge amount of empathy and a huge amount of compassion to understand that this parent, he's really concerned about his kids and he he's read some really frightening things and he doesn't want your science brain is going, oh, fuck me. But you're actual, you're, you're trying to be like, <laughs> I don't want their child to get measles. That could kill their kid. You know, it must, it must yeah, be a yeah. very delicate balance for you to have that conversation. Yeah, like I think when it's kids, it's a big issue. And I certainly say that it's really important for, for kids to be vaccinated so they have the chance to become adults. Um, so this <laughs> this is like the, the big deal that, that's really there. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and that's so <laughs> heavy to hear, but it's true. This is, this is the truth. And people say, oh, well, vaccines are terrible and evil. But you're also there going, well, like, when was the last time that I saw a measles case? When was the last time I saw diphtheria? These old conditions, like, just we, we just don't have the cases that we see to know much about them as doctors, which is amazing. Like, I'm, gl- I'm glad that I haven't seen a case of diphtheria coming through at all. But again, like, you, you get sort of, like, the odd cases where kids haven't been immunised, um, particularly if they haven't been immunised against tetanus um like tetanus is terrible there was a case recently in australia like a, a couple of years back um, with a young young girl i think it was who stood like you stand on a rusty nail yeah. you have the tetanus spores inserted into your skin and then the tetanus toxin goes all through your body and then yeah blocks your nerve muscle junctions and then you end up in a state of tetany where every muscle in your body is 
tense and contracted. And so you have to put these people, like basically intubate them and give them muscle relaxants if you can and keep them sort of sedated for about sort of two to three months until the tetanus toxin eventually sort of like jumps off the receptor and you go back to normal again. So it, it takes a lot of time in, in intensive care. It takes like, yeah, tens of That's thousands, or if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is just a, a quick vaccine that could stop them from getting tetanus. Um, so th- this is sort of like, yeah, we, we haven't seen all that many cases in Australia because everybody is vaccinated. But as that odd person whose parents decide not to vaccinate their child, they're running around a farm, have an injury, and then they end up in intensive care for three months until their receptors recover. It's it's, it's horrendous to have that happen. Um, and imagine, yeah, like just the the problems when you're recovering from your three month coma um, oh, to then you know, like try to get back into the real world. It's horrendous. I never, I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was that bad um, because I just yeah, get, yeah. I just get the thing every t- every couple of years. Like, oh yeah, I haven't had, I can't remember the last time I had one. Get another one. That's it. You don't even think about it. Yeah, this is why we we offer it when you're when yeah. you're coming into hospital after yeah. having a penetrating um, wound that you really need to have that vaccine updated. So yeah. this is the the, good, the the reality of it. Good idea. We as a nation, we are able to get the entire country, well, a huge percentage of the adult population to the same place at the same time. Sure, we offer them a sausage sizzle, but we're able to get everyone to vote on the same day, and it seems to go okay. Take some logistics, but we can do it. Why can't we all be vaccinated against COVID-19 by now, Brad? What the hell is going on? It's been a really, like, yeah, a tragic time at the moment. So we certainly haven't had enough vaccines to go round. That's been the big issue. So it, we sort of, like, started to get the AstraZeneca vaccine flowing and that's still available. I think a lot of people became really hesitant about getting it because they were hearing about, like, a rare blood clotting disorder that could happen. Um, so that's still putting a few patients off getting AstraZeneca at the moment, even though it's a good vaccine and it is being used all around the world. But, yeah, like, with Pfizer, we, we have had a delay and getting it, there seems to be a bit of a a six-month delay between other countries putting in their offer to Pfizer to actually get the supplies and Australia putting in our offer, yeah, for a much smaller amount. So there's chaotic distribution. We've had patients booked in at the clinic here. Um, We've had to cancel lists because we haven't had the vaccines turning up. The truck turns up the following day and you've just spent the whole day cancelling everybody. And then we've had to have staff coming in on Sundays to then administer the vaccines to people. And then like on the other hand, we've also got the government talking about vaccine hesitancy and saying that nobody wants to get a vaccine. Uh, But it's really hard to get it. I I was trying to to book a vaccine with one of my patients and we were online and just going around a loop, unable to actually book into any vaccination clinic around. I couldn't do it. My patient couldn't do it. We just sort of gave up at the end of the day and we're we're waiting for more information so we can figure out where to go. But like there's sort of multiple failings that are all happening in Australia. And it's sort of like one of these she'll be right attitudes. It's like, oh, yeah, we don't need to put any effort into it. Yeah, we'll get there in the end. Um, but there's still this looming problem that, that COVID can just sort of seep out of quarantine, get out into the um, public and create a massive problem really, really quickly. So um, it's also if politicians are saying it's not a race, people just sit at home and, and wait. Like uh, they're sort of waiting for the better option to come along. And we, we sort of like don't blame people for doing that. 
it's also hard to sort of like talk about a potential problem. I think all around the world, like people have seen COVID, like they've had relatives die. People have had multiple family members affected in hospital. And yeah, like whole families have disappeared. But in Australia, we just don't have that. We've had a, a, an outbreak in Melbourne that's been terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, but the rest of the nation hasn't really seen that. And so, yeah, talking about this potential virus and the potential problems that can come in, it's hard to sort of get that across the line and, and help people to really understand the intensity of the situation. Well, if they give it to me today, I'd, I'd live stream it. I didn't give a shit which one. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't care. I did because I did the sums. It's like you probably know this better than I do. I think it was something like I have a one in 33,000 chance of dying from COVID. I'm 47 years old, all right? I have a one in 750,000 chance of having a, a very dangerous, if not lethal, complication from the AstraZeneca vaccine. To get the similar risk of that vaccine, I would need to drive, ride my motorcycle for 12.5 kilometres. Yeah. And I ride 40Ks to and 40Ks back from work every day. I don't even think about it. You know, when I put those numbers together, even though, you know, when you just to go straight risk, like, well, it makes complete sense. Give it to me. Give it to me. Yeah, for sure. But like even, even my parents are in their 70s, they're living in Melbourne. They've been sort of like petrified about potentially getting a blood clot that they're extremely unlikely to get. Yeah. And um, they're going, Mum, you've got more chance of getting bitten by a shark than you are of dying from a rare blood clotting disorder. So it's sort of like our perception just gets blown out yeah. of proportion. So on the other hand, I've got like my best mate lives in the UK. He's sort of in his early 40s and he went out and got the AstraZeneca vaccine because they're giving it to everybody who's over 40. And they, they're not blinking twice. Um, but this is also over in the UK because they have lots of COVID everywhere and they, they do mm. have this as, a, as an ongoing issue. They see the reality of it. So if we don't have COVID around, then the problem from the vaccine is worse than just the status quo. Um, but that can flip on a dime. Yeah. So you just need to have this potential problem, yeah. um, having an outbreak, and then all of your, your statistics reverse. Yeah. And you're much more, more better off having the vaccine than not. If we ran a news station, you and me, would probably run a lot of scary vaccine stories because a lot of people like to watch them, click on them, share them, and forward them. It's not reality. Like the availability heuristic really plays a role there. The level of news reporting that the adverse effects get versus the non-adverse effects get is so completely out of proportion. It changes the public's perception and it, it really gives me the irritants. Um, speaking of things that change public <laughs> perception, Brad, I was hoping we might be able to do a bit of like live Google Translate, uh, you and me, where I'm going to say the thing that I'll either read under an Instagram post or read in a, a drug ad. And then if you could translate, I'd really appreciate sure, that. Sure, I'm more, more than happy to oblige. We could do that. You'll never believe the results of this diet. What does that actually mean? This means that it will never happen. Like you, you, you won't get the results of this diet. So, the, yeah, you don't, you don't have to believe it because it's not true. Research has shown. Um, well, yeah, this basically means that one research uh, or one article has come out explaining the, the point of view of the author. So there may be like hundreds of articles and hundreds of, of research topics that have been done otherwise um, that, that disprove it. Um, but yeah, you just want that one research article that's going to say what you want it to say. Doctors will never tell you. 
Yeah, because it's not true. Uh, (laughs) Doctors won't tell you uh, that this um, amazing supplement will cure you of heart disease because it doesn't. Um, So, yeah, there there is truth mixed in with the advertising. Uh, Results may vary. Yeah, so you probably won't get the Instagram body um, because you're you're not taking the the hormonal supplements that they're that they're having as well. Talk to your doctor about whether whatever drug it is is right for you. What does that actually mean? <laughs> that that me that's basically a disclaimer, like claiming no responsibility whatsoever. So um, so if you end up getting liver failure from this, um, then they can blame it on your medical. Pr- professional um and yeah it washes their hands clean of any responsibility for your health having more literacy around this stuff is so incredibly important for all of us as a community you know because we have a public health system brad we have a public health system and our government that we give our tax dollars to to help our country run properly has this health burden that is getting so probably getting quite adversely affected by a lot of people who unwittingly have gone down a garden path trying to find something that will make them feel better when often all it's done is make them feel worse. Mate, I couldn't thank you enough. I know you're a busy person. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you for writing this book, Fake Medicine. It's an absolute cracker. Mm. I really appreciate it, Brad. Thanks heaps, man. Thanks for reading my memoir slash <laughs> myth-busting book on fake medicine. It's been great chatting with you today. And there you go. That was Dr. Brad Mackay. His new book is called Fake Medicine, exposing the wellness crazes, cons and quacks costing us our health. Just get it where you get your books. I really enjoyed reading it, but I'm biased because I guess it was how I grew up. But yeah, I got confronted there. You heard me getting confronted. There you go. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you Thursday for Idle Australians and Friday I'll see you back here. The best thing you can do for this show, if this show has brought you value, is tell a friend. Just tell a friend about this show. Write and review where you can, but tell a friend. That's the best you can do. Hit share and share it with someone that you think could use it. Hope you are okay. If you're locked down, hope you are okay. We are there with you. We are all in it. I'll see you on um, Thursday. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things until then. 